0: So in this case, I made that cracker crust with red lentil flour, Let me just which say as I say it does sound a little insane.
1: Let me just say this. If you went to any pizza shop in America and you told them, make me this, they couldn't do it. A lentil cracker, a Cuba Gouda, a pepperoni, and a carrot. That's what you made. You heated up some charcuterie and you called it a pizza. I <laughs> know. I realized from the last two episodes that I don't introduce myself, generally. I just say, I I basically say my name, and then you say that you're in medical school and a couple of things about yourself, and then we move on. (laughs) So, um, I'm Nick, I'm 30, I'm a Leo, I'm single, I was named after an Oscar-winning actor that owns a dinosaur skull and a pyramid in New Orleans, and I work for the government, which I will talk about in episode D, because I work for the Department of Defense. So that's who I am.
0: Excellent. I'm Alvika. I have been cleaning today. I'm in medical school. That's all. That's all I have to say about it.
1: I want to start with a topic that we've already talked about. Pete Buttigieg. No, just kidding. I was
0: like, no, we haven't said to to him anymore. Thank you. Uh,
1: The first thing I I actually do want to start with, comments. Because that starts, I'm going to stop saying that everything starts with a C, because that's the whole point. We have an an email address for this podcast that I set up. It is, well, let me say the name of the podcast first. This is uh, Real Life Alphabetically, where each episode has to do with a single letter. We talk about topics that start with that letter and then see where things go from there. If you have any comments about previous, if you've heard any of these episodes, first of all, thank you. Second of all, if you have any comments that you want to share, email us at podcast at gmail.com. Or if you have ideas for topics for future episodes that you want to somehow hear about us discuss, we welcome your thoughts. Anything you want to say before we look at our
0: lists? No. I mean, we look forward to hearing from people, theoretically.
1: Are you ready to look at the lists? I'm ready. All right, I'm going to look now.
0: Oh, you have some good ones. You have some, like, important topics on here.
1: I was... Okay, we were going to have two crossovers, actually, believe it or not. Um, I had cussing originally, and then, and then <laughs> I did not put it on there. But you have some good ones, too, actually. I like yours.
0: Definitely have a kind of different direction. I think that'll
1: help us more than it hinders us, at least at the beginning, as we figure out um, what the fuck we want to do or say or... Make of this. All right, so we should probably get in the habit of when we have crossovers of starting with those. So Melavita, cool. tell me about cats.
0: I don't like animals by and large. I don't want them all to die, or I don't want to hurt them. I just, by and large, want them to exist outside of my existence. Like I, I don't want a pet. I like. The idea of pets in theory, I have many friends who really love their cats. I actually have a deep infatuation with the Sphinx cats. I don't know. They just look really interesting to me. But the the topic that comes up most often in my mind with cats that I find terrifying is the fact they can give you toxoplasmosis, which is like this little... Uh, infection of your brain and it doesn't really do anything but they've done all these studies that show that if you're infected with toxoplasmosis it can actually like over time change the way you think and cause accidents um cause you to be clumsy or make poor decisions but it freaks me out and now i avoid cats like the plague i think it's like kind of fascinating though that these like infections can cause you to change the way you think they show the same thing actually a little bit with birth control, it, like, causes you to apparently choose men who appear weaker and, and things like that. Like, you're not really responding to your biology. It's, like, so, some of the research, I will say, is a little hand-wavy.
1: No, you heard it here first. Taking birth control makes you immediately into a dominant that requires a submissive male.
0: <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> that's according to CNN.com. Please yeah. don't let me sources.
1: Please only
0: a reliable source of information for all your medical knowledge. Please, it's the But yeah, that's all I have to say about cats. I clearly don't like them. I just get freaked out whenever I see them because I'm convinced or give me talk. So, and I'm sure like I've been exposed to enough cats that they already have it, but you know, why super infect yourself? That's not how it works. I don't know. It's not a, it's not a rational fear.
1: So, I put cats on there for a very different reason. But before I get into my reason, I want to say I'm very um, I'm very happy to be doing this podcast with you because everything you said in the beginning part about animals is how I've always felt my whole life about animals.
0: <laughs> me too. Uh,
1: my, my family calls me an animal hater, which is not true. I love animals. Grew up with pets, including a cat. Uh, I am allergic to cats, which is not great for me.
0: You are um, allergic to many things. I am,
1: but cats is one of the one of the worst ones. Actually, like it's a pretty quick reaction, and it's pretty. Um, I won't say awful. It's not life threatening or anything like that. But you know, I get super congested, and I get super yeah, itchy. Yeah, it's not and, fun. You know, yeah. unless I've taken precautions and basically OD'd on on some sort of you know Benadryl adjacent.
0: Um, just passed out an and it casts will pee on you. That's the worst. Right. Anyway,
1: pretty much. <laughs> um. But cats, so we had a a cat when I was little. We also had dogs. We had fish. We had piranhas. We had an iguana. We had an alligator. We had, you know, boa constrictors and mice, and we had a lot of animals growing up. Um, I thought that, well, where I always appreciated cats for being the more independent sort and for being the more, like, You just give them water and food and a box to take a dump in, and and they're cool. Like, I always appreciated (laughs) that about them, just the idea. I didn't realize until um, there was someone I was close with that had gotten two cats, two sisters of of a a litter that were so tiny and cute and adorable, and she would send me all these pictures of them and videos of them, you know, as they were growing up and things like that. Um, She named them Kiwi and Mango and called them her little fruit ninjas. Because they were these two black cats with like this orange mixed into their fur, almost like marbled in. Um, they were they were really adorable, and I find that as I've seen less and less of them as i just, you know haven't gotten to see what they've been doing. I missed that. Like, I found that I actually enjoyed watching them kind of, even though it was from afar, watching them grow up and do silly things and, and having her tell me all the, you know, hijinks that they were up to and, you know, sending me excitedly things that would be like, oh, my God, this cat is ruining my life. Look at what it just did and, you know, the mess on the, whatever. Um, I I think I actually like cats. Um, I read something that they're coming up with or trying to make some sort of uh, um specific either pill or drug or shot or something for people with cat allergies. They've been able to more specifically neutralize it than they have with other animal allergies. I don't know. I just hope that becomes a real thing because I think think I'd like having a cat someday.
0: I mean, honestly, it sounds like you just like an element of chaos in your life. I do... It's not. I like do cats. have a streak of. I'm very. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I don't know, man. Um, but actually, my friend, she's also pretty severely allergic to cats. She got a hypoallergenic cat, and seems to work for her. Uh, maybe you should try and hang out with those and see if that works for you too. She's also pretty allergic, like very congested, like red eyes, like very miserable. She's exposed to just normal run-of-the-mill cats, so well, I maybe
1: I don't tend to hang out with anyone or anything. So me hanging out with hypoallergenic cats is probably not going to happen on the in the short I term. I can make it happen.
0: I'll make it happen for you. We can record a podcast as I have a breakdown trying to interact with the cat, and you maybe also have a breakdown in a completely different capacity.
1: Okay, I want to talk about one thing because I want to keep it short, but I have a specific question for you. I'm going to pick the topic of Cheers which is a NBC sitcom from the 80s and 90s that I'm a very big fan of, mm-hmm. uh, famously with the, the theme song where everybody knows your name. Have you ever had or have you ever wanted to have a place, be it a bar or somewhere else, where you were a regular, where they knew your name?
0: Yes. It has been my goal. And I actually have a neighborhood dive bar that I do frequent. I don't think they know my name, but occasionally when I'm walking by, they'll, like, comment on my outfits or, you know, generally judge me. They'll be like, you're wearing that on today? And I'm like, it's cold. And they're like, 70 degrees.
1: Are you talking about Lounge Leo?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, they don't know your name there.
0: <laughs> they don't know my name. They definitely don't know my name, but they know yeah. my face. They know your
1: face for sure. I've been there they with know my several face. times.
0: Yeah. yeah, they know my face. But, like, I feel like I could they could know my name if I put a little bit of effort. And yeah. we've gone there. We've, like, chatted with pe- people there. It's fun. Yeah. The, the one a, time
1: we went there, I talked to the one bartender for like half an hour. You talked to the one that was having like a birthday party, and we didn't—we weren't even talking to each other.
0: Oh yeah. No, it wasn't a birthday party. Wasn't that some guy who it was his kid's birthday or something? It was some no, it was his
1: birthday because they got him a cup. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I I do love that place. It's a good. It's a good neighborhood bar.
1: I have a bar where they know my name and where I am a regular. I don't know what that necessarily says about me. Um, is
0: it by work or is it by home? Because I feel like it's that's by work. Important. Okay.
1: It's by work. Um, it is actually in the building that my dad works in now, which is kind oh, of nice. But um, there's, it's there, this place yeah. called David's Grill and Bar oh, um, on yeah. the corner of 9th Street and Lakeside, I believe. Is that one there? Um,
0: there's if there's you Google it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's in the North Point building. In the, in the, <laughs> underneath um If you Google it and look at the image that comes up on Google Images or on uh, their Google review page, the picture for the place is me and two of my friends at the bar. Like, somebody came in and took a picture while we were there, so now I I say that I am a part owner because I'm the face of David's Grill and Bar. So I I always make jokes about, well, as part owner, I think that, you know. Yeah. But it is nice. But the bartender is a woman named Pip. She is fantastic. Um, she makes an incredible Long Island. Uh, she is, uh, she's a friend. I mean, legitimately, she's just a friend. We're even, we're Facebook friends, we're real friends. Um, it, but yeah, it's it's it was always my dream to have a place to walk in and where they were like Nick, and I that, I have that and it's great and I like it a lot.
0: I feel like envious of you. Like I don't have that, and and I think also like it's it's kind of feeds into our personalities where like I. Often, I'm someone who wants to go somewhere new or try somewhere else right. or drive 45 minutes, so I have less of a chance of running into someone I know. Uh, and I think that's, like, partially on me. And I also don't have a regular, like, I definitely drink. <laughs> but there are some weeks where I don't drink because it's just how work is. I don't have, like, a, a I have less of a routine around it, I think. Sure. Um does it sounds like you go out with, like, your work friends, like, maybe once or twice a week, or I don't know. It doesn't matter the frequency. Um,
1: no, it does. The frequency
0: matters. You're right. You're right. But I would, I I just feel like some bars, the thing is, I like a good cocktail. I don't drink beer at all. Um, and I live, we live in a place where the cocktails are not, uh, like, a widely, widely regarded thing so i feel that sometimes i'm often going to the same like two or three places because i want a cocktail or i'll be in the mood for a cocktail um yeah
1: this takes me to a topic on my list cocktails yeah, it does <laughs> what is your favorite cocktail
0: no what is your favorite cocktail you tell me first
1: well i have a couple so okay. my go-to all time no matter what mood i'm in if i'm going to have a drink. Like, if, if someone was going to order me a drink like I was in the bathroom, you could never yeah. go wrong ordering me a rum and Coke.
0: Yes, that I is can. what I would order you. That is yeah. generally what I order you, actually. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. that's especially with, you know, heavy on the lime, because I love lime, but that that's my all-time. Um, mojitos, also, same thing, can never go wrong with a mojito, a margarita, or a Long Island. Mhm. I Any one of those at any time. Now, mojito and margarita mm. maybe are a bit more...
0: They go sweet. People go real hard on the sugar in those. That's my problem. Like, I love a good okay. mojito, but it's hard to find a good mojito.
1: <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I, I do want it to be actual muddled and not with yeah, you know, like- not with too much um, simple syrup, or if it yeah. is like a mint simple syrup that they've made there, even better. But um, I don't mind sweet like you do. I, I can get down on sweet.
0: I mean, sometimes I want a sweet drink, but I don't want it to be like drinking sugar water. I don't want to feel super dehydrated on top of being, you know, tipsy or something.
1: Yeah, I don't like that. Apart <laughs> for the course, some days. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like you evolved into drinking cocktails, or did you always drink cocktails, like back in the day when you first started drinking?
1: This is a, a deeper conversation than I expected. Um
0: I always curious.
1: The first time I got drunk, I was seven.
0: Okay. And
1: it was at a wedding. And my stepsister was giving me fuzzy navels, which are orange juice and peach schnapps. And I didn't know they were alcoholic. I was a kid, and they tasted good. And uh, I got drunk, and then my stepbrother and I ended up doing the Men in Black dance uh, on the dance floor at my step-uncle's wedding. And there's video of this, which is just great to have video of the, the first time of you being drunk. But I've always been my family's bartender of sorts. Mm-hmm. Like my my mom and stepdad would generally have margaritas at night when we would watch TV or or a movie. Like that was our routine when I was growing up in you know mid elementary school, middle school, and into high school. Um, so at ten years old, I had a margarita recipe and was already better at making them than the two of them were. So I've I've always been a cocktail person. I even when I wasn't drinking myself, like I wasn't a drinker at ten, but I was making drinks at 10. So I've always been around alcohol. It's never been weird to me. And I've always been interested by cocktails specifically. Not that I don't like beer or ciders, wine. I love all of those. But, you know, cocktails to me are just special.
0: It's very interesting how kind of your, the drinking culture that you grew up in, you know, influences you initially. So in my family, we... People drink. My dad certainly drank. My mom drank significantly less, and she'd be one of those people who has two sips of wine. She's like, "My head is spinning. My head is spinning. I can't handle this. Help me!" Like, like two freaking <laughs> sips of wine. I don't know. Maybe she's incredibly sensitive to alcohol. That's very interpretable to me. <laughs> just. When I came to college, I tried alcohol a few times freshman year, and it was just gross. It was just like natty light, and I was like, I don't understand the hype. It makes me, like, I don't think I was ever drunk freshman year, but I had some, like, you know, cheap vodka and orange juice, and it was just not super fun. And I did drink, and then, I but I didn't really drink until I turned 21. And when I turned 21, as you know, I basically a few weeks later went to go study abroad in Ireland, and there I drank more, <laughs> Um And I, once again... As an Irishman, you learned from the best. I did. And I feel like I kind of liked the drinking culture there because it was a little bit more casual, whereas, like, around in my family, it felt very taboo. Even in college, it felt, like, a little bit taboo. And... And I just kind of appreciated the more casual atmosphere was, like, you can drink. it's You know, I I went to the Guinness factory, and, like, the first week I was there, I tried beer. And I was like, this is just not for me. Like, it just made my stomach feel terrible. And I just never drank beer again. It's been great. (laughs) You know, I was a a young woman in my 20s, so I decided the most calorie-efficient way to get drunk was to just drink straight whiskey. So I feel like, for me, I had never... Like, I, I started drinking wine maybe towards the end of college. Like, I never really did Franzia, but we used to have, like, wine nights um, with a couple of friends. We had good
1: wine. We had, we good, had, like, good good wine. We had like
0: Yeah, we had, like, a very classy senior year of college. I don't know how we managed it. We would make fresh pasta and drink wine. Yeah, And, like, it was great. Like great. Yeah. I'm talking uh, about
1: my college drinking experience. because It's just me. so, so it's
0: different. very different. different, yeah.
1: My mother would... Ask me what alcohol I wanted. Like she would be going to the liquor store and she'd say, what do you want me to get you? And then it became, well, I would go with her. And she was known as at um, Dave's, at the liquor store in Dave's. She was known as the tequila lady because she would go to the liquor store and she would get an armful of bottles of tequila because oh there, <laughs> there was whatever tequila that they liked. And my mother is a buy-in-bulk person. So she would go, and she would have an arm full of, like, four or five bottles of a single type of tequila. So I started calling her the tequila lady to the point where we went, like, we we had stopped going for a while. And then I, on a lark, I went with her again, and they were like, you're the tequila lady. We haven't seen you here in, like, a year. And she was so embarrassed that I don't think she's gone back to Dave since then.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's kind of great, though. It's one of those things like, oh, they know me.
1: Exactly. I laughed my ass off. (laughs) I thought it was the funniest fucking thing. And she was mortified.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's a little different for me. My mother. She would just ask me, you know, hey, I I mean, I know you're going to drink and all that. What do you want? I'll buy it for you. Cool. So I never drank Natty Light. I never drank anything shitty because I already knew what I liked at 18. I already knew what I liked, Mm -hmm. you know, what cocktails I liked and what beer I liked and what wines I liked. So I was usually the one that had, you know, the mixers or the Bacardi or the, um, you know, something good. Blue Moon.
0: I don't know um, if it's better or not, because I feel like you were very open with your parents and that probably was easier. Like, I think I was like 22 and I mentioned that I had a glass of wine in Italy when I was there and my mom freaked out. <laughs> And I made the mistake where my dad's like, oh, do you want some wine? We're at the Olive Garden, a classy establishment. And I got a glass of wine, and I was, I offered some to my mom, and she just drank the whole thing to prevent me from drinking
1: it. <laughs> Whoa.
0: I was like, did she just do that?
1: That is hardcore.
0: Um, but recently I've stopped giving a shit. And so I've been drinking cocktails with my parents. And my mom now thinks I'm an alcoholic. And I, I kept telling her, I've been like, I've always drank. I just didn't tell you before. But she's like, I'm so disappointed in you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's honestly kind of annoying. <laughs> like, my dad and I have these conversations because, like, when I go out for cocktails or try something, I'm like, oh, you should try this, you know, gin drink or something. And my mom's like, it's amoral, it's immoral. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> But she still drinks, so it's a little bit complicated. <laughs> uh,
1: it's never been something to hide in my family, the drinking or whatever. I my parents were always the ones saying, you know, if you go out and drink, you know, even when I was fifteen, sixteen, high school, whatever, if you drink or something, and you know, somebody is about to drink and drive, don't just call us. You know, we'll come get you. We don't care that kind of thing. Now, most of my friends were very much straight edge. You know, we'd be more like we ended up. To- We'd be watching the Lord of the Rings like extended cut DVDs back to back to back, more so than drinking or anything. But uh, yeah, it, I, it was never a taboo thing—not once.
0: Do you think it's better or worse? You know, I think the reality is you probably want a little bit of both, and that's maybe the most ideal. But like,
1: if I had to choose, I would—I would prefer mine to yours because I've never once heard my say heard either of my parents say I'm very disappointed in you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to put this into perspective that I'm 31 now, and this was a few weeks ago when I was in New Orleans. My mother was not having the New Orleans life when the rest of my family was having the New Orleans life. Yeah, I definitely come from a family uh, where the men often have alcohol issues. So I think the women in the family tended to go the other direction.
1: (laughs) My grandmother on my mom's side never drank, ever. Ever. Mm-hmm. She, died, she died at 78, I believe. Her mother had been an alcoholic, so yeah. she she just always hated alcohol. So she yeah. was very much that same, you know, she, she saw the horrors of it, and so she never even tried, which I totally respected.
0: I think it's, I know you don't have this issue, but... You know, drinking with my parents was a huge step for me. It took me, until, like, the last, like, two or three years, I I didn't ever do it. I just, I guess I have too many secrets I have to, like, you know, keep track of.
1: I'm good at Um, keeping my secrets or telling just enough to shock them for that moment.
0: uh, But now, recently, now that my cousins and my sister, who I'm very close to, are getting older, it's been interesting to drink with them because... I'm was not. i not the biggest drinker, um, and sometimes they go a little bit too hard for me, but lately they've kind of, like, settled a little more. And, yeah, I'm just, it's been, like, a nice evolution of relationships to be able to do that with them. Um, I was just visiting my cousin up in New York, and, you know, we went out for cocktails and wine, and it was, like, really fun. It was a fun time, and it didn't feel awkward, even though, you know, sometimes, like, with family, it can, so,
1: yeah, for me. Well, that, that sounds
0: nice. Yeah. Tell
1: me about Cake. Ah, yes. It is not the kind you bake. It is the band.
0: I was thinking that.
1: Um, for two reasons. They have two songs that I absolutely adore. One, of course, being Short Skirt, Long Jacket. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolute classic. Probably a top ten song all time for me. Um, the mixtape that I mentioned last episode, that was very much on it. Uh, they have another song, Love You Madly. Very, 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 very much recommend the music video because it because it is a fake cooking competition with members of the band and the judges are Phyllis Diller. Um, I can't remember who I haven't watched in a, a decade probably, but that's another great song, great video. Um, and the reason I put them on there is you know people sometimes ask me I'm single. What what do you look for in a in a girlfriend, in a partner, in a person? Um, pretty much the the lyrics to short skirt, long jacket. Like, like I'm very much looking for my, my woman that's that. changing her name from Kitty to Karen and yeah. trading her MG <laughs> for a white Chrysler LeBaron. If you just write those lyrics out, that's my answer for, for what I'm looking for in a person.
0: It's so interesting that I feel I also idea, like have ideal versions of songs. Like, I've always wanted to be as hot as the girl in um, that Jet song.
1: Oh, are you going to be my girl?
0: No, not that one. Cold hard oh. bitch. I didn't want to say oh, that. Oh,
1: God, that's a great...
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I, I always thought that was, like, such a hot vision of a girl, and obviously it's, like, somewhat degrading, and, you know, I don't really want to be that. That's, like, not who I am. But somehow achieving, like, some ideal of that has, like, been important to me. I don't know why. I don't know if I have an ideal man from a song.
1: Is your ideal man a cold hard bitch?
0: No. <laughs> Just a kiss on the lips
1: gives you all that you need? <laughs> no.
0: Oh, God, I hope not. Actually, now that you describe it, I like I know, right?
1: <laughs> I would never describe Wes as a cold hard bitch. Unless it was to his face, because I would like to see his reaction.
0: I also would like to see his reaction. should bring it up next time to chat with him. I think he'd be into it, too. That's, like, the worst part. I was like, no, yes. he can't be into that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think he would, too. Pick another topic. Okay. I think we're
0: mm. like the first third. All right. So tell me, what are your favorite ways to insult people? Tell me about cussing.
1: I cuss a lot, love it, fucking adore it. It is very much to the point where, you know, I I work in a professional career, um, and I was on the phones with the general public for a large portion of that career. So I have within me an internal sensor that is airtight, you know, hermetically sealed. Nothing bad ever gets out of it. But when that yield comes down, when that sensor comes down, I adore cussing. I think cussing... I I don't think I could be with someone that doesn't enjoy or appreciate cussing regularly. Like, I I would have a hard time bonding with that person if they didn't have an appreciation for cussing. Is that weird?
0: No, I totally get that. I think there are just some situations in which you need the correct word, and sometimes that word is fuck. (laughs) Correct.
1: (laughs) Sometimes that word is mother bitch.
0: Yeah, I will say I hate the word bitch. I didn't want to say it in that song. Right. I generally don't use it. I I don't like being called one. It is I know some people are like, oh bitch, please. Like all the you know, they don't they mean it friend in a friendly way, but I still hate it. I think it's a lazy insult. I think it I don't know, I just hate that word. I don't know why. You know how some people hate moist no, I've I no problem with moist. Can't say I every I, other I mean, best word I'm into.
1: I won't say it but I know some people have, have a problem with the C word. Yeah, I, t- I tend to take also, the British uh, yeah. view of it. I have zero problems with the C word. I just don't say it unless I know the person I'm talking to is comfortable with it because, you know, fair play.
0: Yeah, it's that is not a word I typically use mm-hmm. because, like, I also often feel like it's used as a lazy insult. I'm like, you really couldn't think of something else to say about that person.
1: <laughs>
0: like, yeah. Like, there really? Are t- it's like, there yeah, are two I phrases
1: ang- I use when I want to swear and not even as an insult but as a representation of like what some people would say like what an asshole or fuck that person yeah. or whatever there are two phrases I use and I've been using them a lot recently. One is they can suck a whole bag of dicks.
0: Yes. Appropriate.
1: Or yeah that, that that one's that one's a classic one. I've been saying that one for a long time. The other one is they can eat my whole ass. <laughs> And and I've been using that one a lot recently. Like, I came, came out of a meeting that didn't go so well, and basically when I was having one of those after-work drinks with, with a buddy of mine and I was complaining about it, it just became me riffing on, like, they can eat my whole ass, they can, you know, get a knife and fork and just really go to, go to town and eat the whole goddamn thing. Like, for, because it just was making me feel better. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just like that phrasing.
0: It's an outlet, and I think some people don't perceive it that way, which I I can understand because also I think it does lose its ability to help you if you use it all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know how to explain. I am someone who cusses like a fair bit to the point where I feel like for the profession I'm in and the people I hang around with, I probably am on the uh, the end of the spectrum that cusses a lot.
1: (laughs) I would have said the total opposite. I don't think you cuss that much.
0: I think compare. I have several friends who do not cuss at all. Like yeah. when they sing yeah. rap songs, we'll scale. skip the words. <laughs> like, yeah, and I love them. They're good people. I I don't understand that. Um, I don't really cuss in front of my parents. Still, like you said, this is like context dependent.
1: I called my mother a bitch when I was sixteen, and she cried. But, but yeah. legitimately, I I don't call people bitches. I don't call. I generally don't cuss at people to insult them. I generally don't insult people. That's just <laughs> not that. That ain't me. It's hard to get a rise out of me but uh, my mother and I were fighting when I was 16. I couldn't even tell you what it was about. And I said, like, we've always had a, a relationship where, you know, she'll tell me to shut up or you know, mm-hmm. fuck you or whatever, and I'll tell her right back, fuck you. Yeah. That's, that's our relationship. That's normal for us. Like, it's not a, that we're actually swearing at each other. We're generally laughing as we're saying it. Um, but when I was 16, I, I said something like, stop being a bitch or you're being a bitch, something to that effect. Yeah. And she it made her really sad, and she cried, and it felt horrible. I haven't called her that since obviously I'm, i don't I don't know that I've called anyone a bitch since then, other than like in a joking manner, but yeah, that uh opened my eyes early to the power that swear like insulting someone directly can can have so i I really haven't done it since,
0: yeah, I'm also not a big insulter. Um, sometimes I'm annoyed at people I don't know. Like when a car cuts you off, I'll say, thank you, sire, for using your indicator. Ugh. Uh, I also do it to people who are annoying me in real life. <laughs> My boyfriend really does not like it when I call him sire. <laughs> he explicitly told me not to call him that. that <laughs> but, thank you, sense. sire, for getting the door. Right. <laughs> he did not appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know why. To me, it's like a, I don't know. I'm not like yelling at him. I'm not like angry. <laughs> no,
1: no, I think it's funny.
0: I think it's funny too. He does I, not.
1: I, or good sir, I have used good sir.
0: I use good sir a lot. <laughs> yeah, my sister and I use that one a lot. It's a, it's, a, it's a useful thing where you're acknowledging that it's just a momentary, like you're annoyed with them, but you don't think they're a horrible person or anything like that. Whereas people can go really far with it, so I it's, think it's like a good in between.
1: It's an unchivalrous moment, or an uh, yeah. you know, something like that. Or milady. Now I don't do like the neck beard milady, but if so, <laughs> okay, you know, same sort of thing. Oh, milady, of course, please. Thanks. I still
0: use sire. I'm very general neutral in that way.
1: Ah, see, you're so progressive. Uh, I'm yeah. About. I'm gonna talk about cars.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So I put this on here because I am trying to maintain a certain level of honesty as we do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I feel that. Obviously, this podcast is never going to be a thing. It's never going to be a source of income or anything we do more than just, you know, have a laugh and and maybe get a couple of people, friends to listen, something like that, whatever. But I think it is impaired if either one of us is really restrained or really, you know, not forthcoming in talking about things Mm -hmm. because we're not experts in fields. We're not famous comedians. We're not, you know... This really, the the benefit of this is just our own personal takes, our own stories, our own interaction, things like that. So cars. Um, I don't drive. And a lot of people know that about me, but not everyone. Um, It's certainly not something I publicize because, believe it or not, I generally don't publicize anything. It is something, I know how to drive, but I've never actually had a driver's license. It is something that gives me, I don't want to say crippling anxiety, but it gives me extreme levels of anxiety and stress and to the point where just naturally my lizard brain kicks in and wants to avoid 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 to the you know it, it's not a good thing it's something that I do need to honestly see a therapist about because it's it impacts me and it impacts my life pretty regularly thankfully my family has always been honestly pretty great about it you know, they, they've always always—they've never given me a hard time with it. They've always helped me out. I live a, a normal adult life. I work from home a fair amount, but not all the time. Um, I've been very lucky to be able to have the life that I have and still not drive. But I need to, and I know that. And for any of you that might be listening to this that didn't know that about me or that didn't know that about me but didn't, you know, necessarily understand the depth of it, it's a very deep topic for me. It's a very difficult topic for me, but it is what it is.
0: Yeah, and I think I, I really understand on some level of the anxiety. I get pretty bad anxiety when I'm driving. I've always had bad anxiety while driving. Within, like, a few months of getting my learner's permit, I got into, like, an accident, um, and I didn't drive for six months. And we live in Ohio, and it's just – it's not – an easy place to live if you don't drive. It's it's pretty, it kind of holds you back from doing things. Um, and, like, now at least there's, like, Uber and Lyft, so you can kind of get away with it.
1: Oh, and with, minus the day-to-day parts, like, going to your place to have a couple of drinks or, you know, yeah. go out to a bar or whatever, I wouldn't want to drive anyway.
0: Yeah, so yeah. So, for that fair. stuff...
1: It, it's not really it, the,
0: the other stuff i have anxiety with heights as well and i rock climb so you just can imagine that like my anxiety is often very high and i've come to realize recently that it's actually i always thought it was something it's like well if you just work at it like it'll get better or you know there's certain things when i drive like i don't really ever have a drink and then drive even if it's a few hours later and i'm fine um I try not to drive late at night. If I'm having, like, a really bad day, I just won't drive at all, even if I'm not drinking, just because, like, the anxiety is just too much, especially if I'm on the highway. Like, if it's on surface streets, it's fine, but something about, like, being on the highway and the open road I I think I just have like a slight agoraphobia now that I talk about it sure like that like that that like open spaces and feeling of exposure like kind of freaks me out on these like big highways it's why my parents live in Texas I find it really hard to drive there anxiety is hard because it almost as someone who who often feels like they're in control of their decisions and their lives and what their body is doing and all that stuff like I think it's frustrating to feel like you can't control it and you can't overcome it on your own and I understand that it is a, a problem that many people face, and there are solutions for it, um, and coping mechanisms and medication if you need that. It just feels like you should be able to do it on your own, especially at my level, because I don't typically get, like, that many anxiety attacks or panic attacks. Um, but it's hard. It's hard. And if you need help, you should get help, I will say. I'm the first person to say that and then not do it.
1: Yeah. I, I'm a big proponent of uh, seeing therapists until it comes time for me to actually see one. But I, I do need to. What is creativity for you? What does it mean to you? How do you feel it? Where do you feel it?
0: I think I used to be a much more creative person. Um, like, in the general sense, when I was a child, I was always the kid who was coming up with the games that everyone was playing. I had a lot of, like, imaginary worlds and friends and all that. Um, but as I got older, I just never really formulated that out. I feel like, a lot of my peers who were like that, too, ended up doing a lot of writing and art um, and were creative in dance, and I just never really uh, figured out an outlet for that that was, like, more, gen. Not, I don't know, like, more directed, I should say. I used to write a bit more creatively, but I was never, like, a great writer. I'm still not a great writer, but I, I still, I love reading, um, But nowadays, it's interesting because I feel like most of my creative thought process goes into cooking and baking. I love it. I love that I get a result that I can eat. (laughs) I like that it's somewhat practical and useful for my life. Um, And so I think that's where I think of, like, creative. But also, I think, like, general day-to-day problem solving is, it requires, like, a fair amount of creativity in, like, most fields. And especially mine, like, how do you get something done in a certain time constraint with a certain set of resources that you have and I find those problems really fascinating um, and I think that's part of the reason why I'm very like attracted to medicine in general is this kind of like, problem solving creative aspect um, Do you like puzzles? I do enjoy puzzles but I don't play puzzle games, I think I'm pretty bad at it <laughs> Other things, like other than writing, I haven't really done any like directed creative thing. This is kind of the first thing that I'm doing, and honestly, you're doing most of the editing, like, I'm not even doing that much with it. But overall, I feel as I've gone older, I've gotten like a little bit less, kind of less creative is the right word, but I take less time to do things that are creative mm-hmm. um, because it's not like embedded in my day to day life. Like, a couple of friends of mine like excellent at painting and they'll paint a few times a week and I have other friends who are very crafty, and like, I think I'm like very, like very, pretty good at cooking, um, but I certainly don't showcase it in the same way that people who are really into cooking do.
1: That, that was going to be my next part. I mean, it seems like everything you're talking about as creative is all personal, is all held within yourself. Do you have anything creative, like like when you did writing, anything like that, did you get anything from sharing it? Did you get anything from something out like obviously we're going to be sending this out to, to people who listen to is that something that excites you that you enjoy or not really
0: i think i was always excited to put it out there to see how it would do especially if i liked what i did you know i used to be part of the like fan fiction writing community which is like a little bit different i think in terms of like true creativity because you're using someone else's characters and kind of their, their whole setup right
1: I mean, I've read some fan fictions back in the day that were pretty fucking creative, so I I, I don't know that I'll agree Sorry. that, it's, you know, just because a character is created doesn't mean you don't do something special with it.
0: I need to put it out there, but it, the feedback is not important to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Like, I have a blog, and the act of writing the blog is very important, like, for me to you know, have written those pieces and published it out there and to finish it. But then ultimately, like, it didn't – it doesn't bother me to look at the metrics and to know that no one is reading it or I have, like, five – like, it doesn't bother me. Um,
1: And the name of that blog is (laughs) –
0: It's okay. We don't even get into that. No, no. What's the name
1: of that? Just just real quick. I remember you said it, but the name of the blog was –
0: Forks and Fronds.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I wanted to do a competing blog called Knives and Knaves.
0: Yes, and there was actually a competing blog that was done by some lab mates of mine called um,
1: Sporks and Spoons. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You want to know something fucked up? What? So I've not seen Knives Out. Not yet. I've heard great things about it. But Rian Johnson directed it. I found out, because I searched this, and I'm going to search this right now. I searched Knives and Knaves, because I'm fucking very, very proud of myself for coming up with that. Fifteen years ago, or ten years ago, or whatever it was, I just really like that stupid title. "Knives and Knaves is at the Alamo Draft House, a you know um, famous cinema. Rian Johnson put together a list of films that inspired "Knives Out," and he called that list of films "Knives and Knaves. That son of a bitch. So that forever published. <laughs> I should have now forever. You look, and it even has a little logo with a. Uh, Magnifying Glass, it says, a series curated by Rian Johnson, the films that inspired Knives Out, Knives and Knaves. That fucker.
0: <laughs> great movie, though. <laughs> Honestly, I love that movie. I heard it
1: was great. I, I do need to watch it. Yeah. And I like Rian Johnson a lot, except for The Last Jedi, but I'm not going to even go there.
0: Tell me about your creative
1: pursuits. <sighs> I think when I was young, I was a big reader when I was young. Huge. Re- I read more Star Wars books than most people read books in their lifetime. I owned more Star Wars books than people read books in their lifetime. As when I put them all into storage, told me because it was backbreaking work lifting, you know, a dozen giant crates of just Star Wars books in addition to all the other ones that I had. Um, so for me, the literary experience was always I felt creative by reading others' work. I think that's pretty common for all of us, whether it's movies, that's kind of what it became later in life for me. Um, It wasn't until somewhat recently that I got into writing creatively. I was always a pretty good writer in college and in high school, you know, uh, pretty good at editing or word choice or flow, that kind of thing. You know, the basics of writing, (laughs) I guess, as I list them out. I talked about it in the bad moods of, you know, I started writing creatively and I can really only do it when I'm in a bad mood or... Occasionally, if I'm in a really good mood, I, I feel creative too. But for me, it's gone from being something I did as an emotional outlet to something that I want to do more seriously. Uh, part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place and part of why like I, I want to be a published author. I I still write short stories. I'm still writing that the romantic comedy that I promised you. I don't know how romantic or how funny it'll be, but it'll be my attempt at something other than than heavy drama for once. But even beyond that, like, I wrote a poem yesterday. It's not a good poem. It's not something that I plan on putting out or sharing or anything like that. But it was a way to, you know, I was feeling kind of blue and wanted to express it in some way, and I wrote a poem. And that's also generally a sign for me. There have been times over the last, I don't know, five to ten years, where I will find myself pining for someone or just feeling bad about myself, whatever. And I will write a really, really terrible poem. Like, I've done it three or four times now over the last decade of, that I've even written down in journals and things. Of I'll go back to, holy God, this is like some cringy horrible i can't it believe it it feels I wrote so this.
0: good <laughs> no
1: it feels awful
0: in a moment awful. though i don't know, i also write poetry when i feel emotional and it's not good i have like a notepad document on my computer that i write it in i
1: write i write everything now in the notes on my phone so it's all It's. i have like 50 just weird notes for anything from like passwords to poetry i've written to bullshit but i my i have goals for cre- like i want to get that feedback i like that feedback mm-hmm. i want to be i want people to know that i'm creative and, and to hear that they hated it or that they loved it or it made them think of something or you know i i identify in myself that i do want that and i do want to write a novel someday i want to be a published author but um you got to write the book to publish it and it's got to be worthwhile
0: yeah, and I think you've always expressed that, in the whole time I've known you, that you, you've you always wanted to write a book, and I think it's in the last couple of years I've seen you kind of being more actionable about it. And I, I guess I do like feedback on my cooking. Like, I like to hear if people liked it or hated it, if they're neutral on it. But I guess that is important to me. It's just, with the writing, I no longer feel that, um, you know, I've, trying some foragery, which is, I guess, more of a craft skill than true creativity in the way I'm doing it right now. It's cool to produce something. And I think that feeling is something that is really great. And it's, it's a feeling that I actually try and promote in other people, if that makes sense, because accomplishing something makes you feel good. And if you're feeling down, it's kind of like the quickest way to make yourself feel better is to accomplish something else. (laughs) Yeah. It's why people like procrastinate by cleaning. You feel good that you accomplished something, even if it's not the task you're supposed to do. Can I a just task- say,
1: I wish I procrastinated by cleaning.
0: I My also house wish. house is a
1: fucking mess.
0: And I'm sure completing this podcast is going to make you feel a little bit better about the other tasks you have to do by cleaning I, your
1: house. I really enjoy editing these, even though I edited I so much out of the second episode that I did it over like a six-hour period. Oh, shit. Like, Legitimately, I started it at like four and I was done, you know, 10 or 11. No, I wasn't doing, I was doing some other stuff in between or yeah. my focus was taken away, but I really enjoy editing. Yeah. And it reminded me, and weirdly, I got a YouTube comment on a video that I made a decade ago. I used to enjoy video editing too. I, yeah. in height or in college, um, I edited the songs, I'm on a boat, and yeah like a boss, both uh, Mm of the Lonely Island, to clips of The Office that fit with it. And I had a fucking good time doing that. And both of them got over 500,000 views at the time before they were, well, one was taken down and one was just, like, I guess demonetized. But uh, for copyright and that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. if you want to look on YouTube... I'm on a boat, the office edition is still up because somebody just commented on it after ten years, which was a weird email to get. I'm like, holy shit, I forgot about this.
0: It's kind of great though. That's like the it good is. things about the internet.
1: <laughs> so I have so I I I'm I don't know why I'm saying this, but I have a bumble profile. And one of the things the one of the things is two truths and a lie about yourself for people reading it. And one of mine is I have over a million views on YouTube because I do from those two videos combined. I was <laughs> 1.3 million views on YouTube. I like that. <laughs> which I did not realize until legitimately like a month ago. That's
0: and this cool. Was a
1: decade ago. Yeah. And and here's what it really means to me. Why I want to be a published author. I want. I've always wanted to have a library in my dream house. an mm-hmm. Old wood library. Oh yeah. So tall with the ladder on wheels that rolls along the shelves and a fireplace and a comfy couch. You know, all that kind of stuff. That has always been my dream. But realistically, I would like my legacy to be to have a book or, God forbid, books on the bookshelves of that library for someone else. Mm-hmm. So when someone goes to their happy place of a library, there's something that I put out into the world sitting on the shelf. You know, Whether they read it, whether they don't read it, whether whatever, just that my name is on something that's in that place. I don't know why, but that just makes me feel... Yeah. Settled.
0: That's great. <laughs> I all have right. another one. I got a quick yeah. one.
1: Way to the last one. One of my favorite books of all time. hmm And a, a really, honestly, a fucking phenomenal movie. Call Me By Your Name. Love it. Love the book. Book made me cry. Movie made me cry. Elio's father in that book and that movie is, like, my dream father. <laughs> He's shut. Just- <laughs> Oh, man. If anyone could say that they have a dream parent, the monologue that he gives at the end of, of that book and at that, the end of that movie, the actor that played him, so fucking perfect. But um, where he talks about, you know, don't cut away your pain because you cut out the good things with it, and then you end up bankrupt by the age of 30. Like that, when I read that the first time, it just, I felt like I'd gotten punched in the stomach with just how important that was, and and that whole book. I absolutely love it. I know you feel the same, well, similar about that book,
0: right? I enjoyed that book a lot. Um, I think it's a very different book from what I typically read. I think the love story is, I think, like, brutally honest. I don't know. You know, I, I think... It's hard, it's, and it doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. And it's exactly. Awkward and, that is,
1: and hidden.
0: And, like, uh, kind of, um, like, there is a scene with the peach, and it's just, I don't know how to say inappropriate taboo, but it's it's just, like, how it is sometimes in relationships, where things are, right. like, you know, like, you're doing things that you may not have done before, and you feel, not the pressure, but, like, wanting to do it just because you're with that person. I don't know, like, kind of how you... It's so I feel like it captured that emotion so well for me. I, I think we
1: all have those moments. We do. In fact, I feel bad if anyone is can't think of at least one of those moments that they've had in their own life listening to this. Because, yeah. of course, we don't necessarily share them. We don't tell people, oh, by the way, I did this with a peach. you know, Yeah. No. <laughs> but there are in those moments of passion or in whatever you want to call it, we will do things. I know I have.
0: Yeah. And I, I have to, you know, I think to truly honestly share those experiences with someone else is actually pretty rare. I don't have a lot of friends who I would tell, like I have a lot of friends. They'll be like, Oh, he's cute. Or like, yeah, I like my boyfriend. We had a good time last night or something like implied. But I think like that level of intimacy is something that I find very hard to share. And so reading it, it, you, I had, I feel like I had a very visceral reaction to that um, kind of like viewing into that intimacy. Um, because it was so true. And I, I read a lot of romance. I love romance. I think a lot of it is I, I think dishonest is the wrong word because that does the authors a discredit, but it's different than reading a, a book or Call Me by Your Name.
1: Um It's often idealized and this was it, the gritty stuff.
0: Yeah, this is like the the worst not the worst parts, but the hard parts of a relationship, not just like Oh, and then, you know, we had a fight. It was like, no, and things were hard, and I didn't know what he wanted, and I felt like this one day touched me, and then, like, another time I didn't feel it at all. Um, And I appreciated that. I was very content with the ending. I did not feel any desire to read the sequel. Um, I was
1: going to bring up the sequel.
0: Yeah. I, I felt like it wrapped it up in a way that, like, they had matured. And they had this relationship. Spoilers.
1: Spoiler alert for the sequel called Find Me.
0: I'm not going to say anything else about it. I just, I I felt content at the end of it that, like, my emotional journey was complete and, like, I just didn't need to know anything else. (laughs) Okay. Yeah.
1: I enjoyed the sequel in a completely different way than I enjoyed Call Me By Your Name. Um, uh, Find Me, I like that it was put into three parts that there were basically three protagonists, one of them being Elio's father. Um, his part was probably a bit too long, but it was that same sort of thing of you don't expect a rom- uh, the protagonist of a romance to be a 60-year-old man.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A 60-year-old divorced man, you know, when you're reading a book thinking you're going to be reading about his son's relationship 10 years later. When yeah. It, realistically, the first... Uh, probably 50% of that book is the the story of Elio's father and, and meeting someone on a train and the uh-huh. the day that they share together and, and all of that. Um, I loved it. I did. I didn't love it as much as Call Me By Your Name. It wasn't as impactful for me. But it left me with a sense of hope without losing that sense of reality. It still maintains that reality in that strange level of intimacy into somebody's brain and how they think. and uh, Even in... I don't read a lot of romance. Um, I'm only really getting back into reading as a whole in the last couple of years as I've been writing more. But it does something, Find Me and Call Me By Your Name, better. Um, it does something that my probably favorite romance and one of my favorite books does, which is The Time Traveler's Wife, which is it doesn't just look at the emotional relationship you have. It literally looks at what the impact of that relationship is on the world around, on other people, and on your larger, on your career, on your, you know, where you live, what you do, all of that. I think that is often ignored for the betterment of, oh, and he looked at me across the room, and I felt electricity in the air, and this moment was perfect, you know, all that. Find Me really gets into the impact Ten years, fifteen years later, on these characters of some of the things that have happened, and I really liked seeing that reality, that realism of it. That's that's what kept me in on the sequel.
0: I feel like a lot of the books I've been reading that feature romance is they actually lack tension. Yeah. So they, um, and when you, I, and I think that's what called Me about Your Name does. Really it's like tension. You feel tense. And you like want that you you, know, you want it to be resolved, so you can feel that like a uh, kind of relief in yourself. and it's I think good already, yeah, like that kind of thing. um and ten traveler's life does a great job of this of like kind of building the story and building the tension. Um, but a lot of the quick romances, it's not that I think like me personally, like what makes a romance interesting is that initial tension, or even if you're in an established relationship, like there's lots of tension, and i I think that can be great great conflict that I think is less explored just in general as a genre. It's frustrating to me because they'll say things like, and he looked across the room and I felt electricity is after me. But like, do you, <laughs> is that a realistic thing that does happen to people? And don't get me wrong. Instant attraction is real. Yeah. Having experienced it, it is real, it is super annoying, and I hate it. I feel that there are better ways to describe it. Maybe, I, I mean, I can't do it. I'm not that skilled to write it. You could probably do it. I've read your writing. It's a much higher level than mine is. It's great. It, it, so have you felt the lightning? Is that a real thing? Like I, felt, I know.
1: I have felt the lightning of people that had no interest in me, just like looking across the room, locking eyes, and being like, holy shit, that person, that's an angel. Like that mm-hmm. is that is not a human being, that is a goddess. Um I've also felt the lightning of where it's that shared attraction of like, who are you? I must now know everything about you. Yeah. Yeah. And and that lightning or that mm. spark, that bolt of lightning that shocks your brain into paralysis, it's powerful, man.
0: It's like a the thing is, I guess I would never describe it as lightning because I think that is, a, I don't know, like I've definitely met people and had my like stomach drop when they've said something that I was like, oh, man, like I'm so into what you just said. To put in perspective, he was telling me about his brain disorder, and I don't know, I was very into that at that point. <laughs> That's that yeah, you That's definitely i Yeah, you know what I'm into. Hey, I um, have a brain
1: disorder. Oh, my God, I just came. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it wasn't quite like that. Oh, no. It wasn't that good of a brain disorder. (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. Um, I think, like, I can count the number of people in one hand who I've ever had that, like, feeling wash over me. Because I think it's more of an emotion. Like, it's not – people describe it as a spark, but I guess it's not something I relate to. But it's interesting to hear that you have that feeling because maybe my perception of it is different. And so when I read that, I don't associate it with the feeling I have.
1: Yeah. I, I certainly have felt electrified from it before, so I, I can get I can get down on them saying some lightning. But there also has to be other pieces to it. Like, you have to accurately and realistically describe the other stuff, too, like your stomach dropping, your heart racing, your skin flashing, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Um, there have been times where I have – I'm generally somebody that can come up with words to say no matter what only a few times have I ever been rendered speechless because of being so attracted to someone to the point where, I I know now after you know I'm finally at 30 years old. I know now that the only way I could ever recover from it, like if I ran into someone at work that I didn't know and it was just the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. Let's say I was going into the elevator and saw her there and just became speechless. I think the only way I could recover is by saying, "I'm so sorry. I just you're so attractive that it made me speechless." Like, I think that's the only way that my brain could reboot is by just admitting it and just
0: moving forward. We both went to Case. We did go to Case. You still that's go to the, Case. I still fucking go to Case. Well, <laughs> we
1: met at Case Undergrad. I regret going. Oh. Only thing I don't regret about it is is meeting you and Kevin and, and some of the other you know, Shannon, and some of the other people. Um, but I fully admit and fully have come to terms in my own mind with, It was a bad decision to follow a girl to college. So if you're listening, yes, I admit you may know me, you may not know me, but it was a mistake for me to go to an absurdly expensive school that I ended up changing my major after a year and a half from chemistry to economics and political science. Um, Yeah. Do you regret going to either case or any of the three cases you've gone to?
0: Um. I had a really hard time adjusting to college initially. I felt like it wasn't the school I wanted to go to. I think it served me well because we had an amazing friend group in college. I think, like, a lot of times your college friends are kind of your foundational friends for adulthood in a lot of ways.
1: It held me together in a lot of ways. Yeah. I I was not a model human being in college, and it it held me together pretty well.
0: Yeah, I definitely had some friends drag me through college. Um, I think... That it was very expensive. I think my experience in college was good. I think I, like, I feel like I would have done well if I had a gap year. Like, I think I where I lost in college was a little bit with the academics, like, being indecisive, not trying hard enough, or getting really caught up on, like, stupid emotional stuff. And I think this is, like, part of growing up. Yeah. Like, I didn't do terribly in college, but I certainly did better afterwards.
1: <laughs> I was a terrible procrastinator that did not go to class often. And... Yeah. Did oh I did better than okay I did. Yeah,
0: you did well.
1: uh, At a certain point early on, I realized I didn't want to be there and that I shouldn't be there, and then took that out on myself in like a self sabotaging way um, Hmm. that I didn't really crack out of until our senior year.
0: Where would you have rather gone? Like, what were your other options? I know it's always bad to think like
1: this. No, no, no. It's something my father brings (laughs) up often. Um, I could have gone to University of Toledo, been a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. They were going to pay me to go Ah. there. I got a full ride, and I was going to get a stipend, and I got yeah. fast-tracked through their PharmD program. Mm,
0: that's a good deal. Yeah. But would you, you like being a pharmacist? No, I would have fucking hated it. Yeah.
1: I'd be making $100,000 working at CVS right now, because that's the kind of pharmacist I would be, and yep. working seven-on, seven-off nights. <laughs> the last topic, I want you to tell me who the best late-night TV show host in history is from any of the times you ever watched late late night shows, who was the best you've ever seen? Who's the one you liked the most?
0: The one I like the most is Jon Stewart. Yeah. Daily Show? I watched it at a time where I feel like it kind of helped me realize how to think critically about the news. Even though I think it is a problem that you we would only get our news from those shows, I think like that started it where I was like, I should go read more about this or like I should go look up the other viewpoints because I'm not really sure he was like telling me the right thing. I I just, it was a good show. Like, that style works well on me. I think there's a lot of um, good people in that genre that I still enjoy. Um, I don't watch the shows as much anymore. I definitely do more reading.
1: Sure, but like, even clips that pop up, you know, in your Facebook feed or anything like that. Is there anybody that that you at least think is funny or will occasionally watch their highlights?
0: I recently have gotten very into Conan O'Brien's highlights, but I don't. I don't know why I don't enjoy the show as much. I feel like it's a little scripted, but like I love his podcasts. I love the like scripted fictional podcast stuff he puts out. It makes me laugh so much, and it's hard to I don't know make someone laugh that much on a podcast. I think like a lot of his just stuff with his staff is hilarious. Like I, I think I, that's I, so I enjoy. Of yeah, I just like love that interaction more than I actually like his like actual show. I don't know why. I, he definitely has some good stuff on there.
1: Cool. Here's here's my two cents because you, you you led me there.
0: Yeah.
1: Conan is an absolute legend.
0: He yeah, changed the ready. game
1: in the '90s when he was doing the late the late what was it mm-hmm. late night with Conan O'Brien.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, he took over the Tonight Show after Jay Leno and before Jimmy Fallon. He did it for about ten months, and he was totally fucked over by Jay Leno and by NBC. Mm-hmm. I watched every single episode of the Conan Tonight Show. For a while, my ringtone on my phone was actually the theme song of Conan's Tonight Show, because it was that wow. i uh, is The podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, um, you actually turned me on to it. I didn't yeah. really know. I saw it. it great. Like, I saw about it, but you finally gave me that recommendation. I was like, I'm going to listen to this. I've listened to every episode, some of them more than once. It's fucking phenomenal. It's so honest. It's so, you know, it's... It's
0: great. He's- incredible. Funny. He's he really
1: funny. And and it's so it's such a good interview because they know that they're not there to promote things, they know that they're not there to do a highlight for his show. Now I will say his show has gotten better in the half hour format of just being kind of fly by the seat of your pants, mm-hmm. honest discussion, couple quick jokes and move on. But um he is not the best ever. I believe it believe it or not. The best ever, the funniest late night host of all time is a Scottish man by the name of Craig Ferguson. (laughs) There for me has never been a funnier, more honest, more incredible interviewer, just absolutely I've literally been watching today highlights of when he was on or when he hosted Late Late Show after David Letterman. Now when David Letterman left and Colbert took over. Yeah. They pushed him out and brought James Corden in to come in after Letterman.
0: Mm-hmm. Or after
1: Colbert. I like James Corden a lot. I knew James Corden when he was doing stuff on the BBC. You know, I'm pretty tuned yeah, to yeah. British TV. I've always liked James Corden. I think he's an okay late late night host. But Craig Ferguson, to me, is the greatest of all time.
0: I've seen yeah. clips of him. And it is generally very good.
1: One of the best things he ever did was... Um, he It was filmed in front of a live studio audience, all you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. His sidekick was a skeleton robot named Jeff Peterson that was voiced by one of his staffers. And, like, their interactions every episode was one of the funniest parts of the episode. Like, just that banter because it was unscripted. They were just being idiots. And it was so fucking good every time. But one of the best things he ever did was he didn't have an audience one time. He, he, mm-hmm. He wanted to film an episode without it. He brought Stephen Fry in, who is an amazing man, a very brilliant, incredible person. And the whole episode was one long interview about addiction and their lives. It is one of the most honest, insightful things I've ever seen. And he just did it on a whim because he was like, you know what? I want to have a real conversation about this. And it's one of the I recommend anyone go on YouTube and look it up because it is absolutely incredible. I'll flush that. The last part of this, we need to figure out how to sign off from this podcast. Because we That's have failed right. at it twice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening. That's all we gotta say. Tune in next week to hear better D topics.
1: Are we doing uh, is this every week? Are we doing this weekly now? Yeah.
0: Okay. Some
1: topics we're going to talk about. Dicks.
0: This dicks. Um, it's actually just an episode about porn. I'm really excited. Listen. Yeah. Dicks and daddy, tricks.
1: Daddy porn, dicks, all of it.
0: Yeah. All our favorite things. All the sad things is like kind of
1: a Listen, I would do that episode. Like, a hundred percent. Daddy was going to be on my list. So, spoiler alert. Shout out to my friend's band, my friend Kevin Bianchi, his band, the Chestertons, because this does start with C.
0: They're um, good. They awesome. are good.
1: He's putting out a new album. I think he just put out a new single called Fix Me. He also has another band, Vanishing Shores. I am a total fanboy, even though I'm also a friend of his, so that's weird. But I, I have Chestertons and Vanishing Shores T-shirts and merch. and Honestly, go go check them out. They are now, I am a Pandora user Kevin has finally put Vanishing Shores on Pandora. So if you're a Pandora user like me, you can find the Vanishing Shores album on there. But I just wanted to give him a shout-out. That's excellent. And now we'll close this out by saying goodbye, Malavica. It's been real. Bye, Nick. It's been real. Talk more later.